It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot trying to miss. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 779 of Locked On Raptors for you're hearing this on Tuesday, September the 8th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at Woodley Sean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got tons of great stuff for you to check out covering all the very many sports that are going on. Today's show is also brought to you by Bill. Built Bar, go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. More on Built Bar a little bit later on. All right, on today's show, it's a bit of a somber affair. The Toronto Raptors are down 3-2 in the Eastern Conference semifinals to the Boston Celtics after a 111-89 loss on Monday night. Uh, really, really bad. This is one of the worst games you'll ever see the Raptors play right up there with game one against the Celtics and also that one loss during the bubble against the Celtics. Not many other performances in this sort of season's resume stand out as being as lackluster as this one. And joining me to discuss the 22-point loss that now has the Raptors facing elimination in Game 6 on Wednesday is our pal Big V, Vivek Jacob. What's going on, man? Nothing much. Just sort of trying to forget what we just watched and move on as quickly. That's my biggest takeaway, man. Wednesday is another day. Um, yes, Wednesday is a day. This is true. <laughs> this is certainly true. Uh, you cannot argue with that fact. I mean, some people may have forgotten over the past this few months. Uh, can't blame them. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's been hard to keep track of time. But yeah, the Raptors did not show up in this one. They... I think if we're being real, showed some of the effects of going all out, or as Kyle Lowry would like to say, going balls to the wall mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. games three and four to get this series tied up. And that certainly wasn't all of it. I thought the Celtics were spectacular defensively. Um, they didn't seem to miss a rotation. They seemed to 
be really on top of packing that paint and then getting out to shooters. Uh, there were definitely some good shots that the Raptors had that they weren't making. There were some cuts to the basket where you, you're thinking you've got an easy two and all of a sudden, for some reason, they can't catch the ball and the Celtics are going the other way. So there's obviously some of that too. But yeah, I think it, I think it was a mix of all that. You throw that in the trash, you get ready for game six. Yeah, on what you said, again, is your takeaway, Wednesday is a day. Um, so thank you. <laughs> you make some very good points. Um, you know, th- this was, I agree, I think you could definitely tell they didn't quite have the juice after really just uh, putting it all out there for the last two games to get it even at twos. And, you know, frankly, I was a little surprised they kept Fred Van Vliet in this game as long as they did. Mm -hmm. I guess they got a bit of leeway because he missed some time in the first half, a little bit of foul trouble, and didn't quite play as much as he normally would in the first half. So if you want to throw him out there with a bench lineup with Serge Ibaka in there as sort of his number two and and see if you can make something happen, sure, I guess. And look, they, they did some valiant stuff in the fourth quarter, mostly through Matt Thomas, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but yeah, they just did not have the legs and they, there, I just, it was a very strangely bad defensive game. I thought from guys who were typically excellent on defense in particular, Pascal Siakam, who again, we'll talk about, and he's been sort of the topic du jour, not just for us on this podcast, but for most people watching this series over the course of these five games, he has been uneven. And after a really encouraging performance in game four, came kind of back down to earth in this one or well through the earth into the middle of the crust with just 10 points. Uh, I think he only had two or three shots in the entire first half before getting going a little bit to start the third quarter, but it was a little too little too late. Uh, and I thought his defense in this one was like truly dreadful. It felt like he got bingo in that he got blown by by every member of the Celtics starting five at one point <laughs> or another. And that's not the kind of bingo you want. <laughs> and no. It just, you know, it was uncharacteristic. I don't expect we'll see that continue because Pascal has been ridiculous defensively throughout the entire bubble, and particularly in this series, he's been wonderful. And he just didn't have it in this game. He didn't have the legs. He didn't have the lateral quicks. Didn't really seem to have, like, the want to to try. And, you know, I, I can understand when you have a first quarter like the Raptors did where their offense was just so moribund and they miss everything, that has to sort of grate on you and affect your defensive effort as well. Did you kind of think that took place? Like if the Raptors hit like two or three extra threes in the first quarter when they were just breaking everything, do you think this becomes such a blowout so quickly? Or do you think maybe they find that extra juice the way they kind of did in the second half for a couple of little stretches once shots started falling in? Um, you know, I, uh, I think there's so many ways to go with that. If, you know, a couple of guys hit shots, then, you know, maybe then they're, they're not feeling their legs as much. And so that carries over. And so Norton, maybe now you're not looking at a blowout situation. And then, you know, when you're missing shot after shot after shot, I think the legs do get heavier because, uh, you know, this is something that I've alluded to uh, over the course of the season. The Raptors, I just don't think against the best teams, especially the best defensive teams, uh, I don't think they have... Uh, uh, a significant margin for error. And so mm-hmm. I think in a game like this where you're not making shots and, you know, even for a little bit, they were still in it because of their defense. I thought things really kind of came apart once Gasol went to the bench and then it was just, it seemed like it was just nothing but layups and dunks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's when the lead really stretched. And 
So I think when that happens, when the Celtics start to hit their shots, and this is something that Nurse and Kyle were asked about post-game, about, you know, why is it that this team, this specific team, the Celtics, have blown you out four times now? Uh, you know, it's been four games where they've beaten you by at least 15 points. And the Raptors you know, usually have been so good with finding a way to stay in the game. Even uh, when they're down 30, they found a way to come back and win. Uh, they showed that against the Dallas Mavericks. And so I think with this Celtics team, because of how well they defend, especially their transition defense, right? The fact that you're not getting yeah. anything easy, absolutely nothing. We, you, know, there's, you can't help but shrug. Uh, your shoulders when you see Norman Powell get out on the fast break and go right into Kemba Walker. Uh, And then you see Fred Van Vliet get out in transition and Marcus Smart just snatch the ball out of his hands. Yeah. Those are plays that are just so synonymous with Raptors success. And when you're able to take that away, I think it just really shrinks uh, the potential of the Raptors offensively yeah I think that makes a lot of sense and like I've made the point a few times that the Raptors defense is so good that it's really hard for them to not be in a game but that only goes so far and if you are sort of squandering the very few transition opportunities you're getting you're missing threes the way they have in most of the games in this series you know eventually you reach the limitation of what your defense can do because you're eventually just gonna you know falls far enough out of it and that's what happened tonight and it just felt like you know you can talk yourself into fake comebacks I certainly did I I screamed about there being a seven possession game in the third quarter when like a three hit made it 21 but you know that was never happening it never felt like it was likely because the Celtics you know it's kind of like the Raptors coming up against themselves the I can't speak Uh, coming up against themselves a little bit right in that it's a team that just kind of like pounds the will out of you and there are very few teams that can match the Raptors when it comes to just like trying hard and having that sort of on-court spirit it's all like intangible stuff but the Celtics certainly have it like they just and like they are kind of a front-runnery team too if I find where like they get going and they they really feel themselves and they're not like a fake front-runner like the Wizards or anything like that like when they get going it's for good reason they're damn good and then they just kind of put the the pedal down and and that's you know that's kind of the story of this game I want to get into why the offense kind of sputtered in this game compared to what it did in the last couple of games where things looked a little bit smoother and the looks were pretty open because as much as there was a lot of just missing open shots there was also a lot less in the way of easy shots that the Raptors were getting we'll get to that in just a second but first you know, it might not be easy for the Raptors to get shots off against the Celtics, but it is easy for you to get food delivered directly to your door with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. 
delivery. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities that they operate in safe. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for 5 bucks off and free delivery with your first order on DoorDash. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Big V. Um, I I alluded before the break, kind of wanting to dive into why the Raptors offense looks so just scattered and stagnant and not at all good (laughs) in this game. Is, is only so many adjectives you can use for it. It sucked. And I'm wondering, like, did the Celtics, in your eyes, do anything differently? Was this just a matter of that, like, the legs not being there and them not getting into their stuff quickly? Is there something the Raptors were doing differently that just wasn't working and falling flat? Why do you think the Raptors' offense was so hard-pressed to find anything in the first half of this game in particular? Well, I think the Celtics came out with a lot more intensity in this game. I thought Kemba Walker, for one... You know, looking back on games three and four, you'll see how many times he was just getting lost off those screens. And this time I thought he did a lot better job of fighting through them and sort of taking away the advantages that were being created before. Other than that, I thought the Celtics really, their room protection was really great uh, in this one. And again, there was a bit of that, you know, we can say the Raptors missed open shots, but at the same time, when the Celtics are making you work so hard, like everything just seems so laborious for the Raptors in the half court. And so when you're having to work that hard, even the open looks, it's, it's almost like they become rushed because it's like, you know, and then there's just so much pressure on that shot. Cause it's like, wow, we finally kind of broke through. And uh, you know, I thought there were plays where again, uh, Mark has just got to look at the damn basket because uh, they just can't be plays where he's got a wide open look and he's just swinging it to a guy who's being guarded. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, there's one thing to recycle the offense and keep it moving and this and that, but against the Celtics team, guess what? Sometimes that is going to be the best look that you get. And I think, you know, and no one's asking Mark to shoot. 15, 20 times in a game. Uh, but the only way he's going to – you're not going to snap out of this funk not shooting the ball. And so mm-hmm. um, I think he, he's just got to ride the wave a little bit more uh, and be aggressive. We saw that aggression in game three, right, when when he came out uh, and, you know, it, was, it was, wasn't even demanding the ball, but it was just when he was getting the ball in certain situations, he's going right at Dice or he was taking the open shot and that's all you want. And in a way, that's what keeps the offense in a flow too, right? It's one thing, again, to recycle the offense, but sometimes you are keeping the offense in a flow 
when you're taking the right, the, the good shot. And so mm. uh, that, that I think is something the Raptors are, really need. Um, and yeah, you, you can't be missing layups at the basket. No, he has to go up stronger. He's seven foot one. There's no excuse for him to like cower his way to the rim and like leave it short off the side of the basket. And the thing with Gasol too is like, look, I'm not by any means one of the people who is saying uh, take him out of the starting lineup, start surge because that is dumb and bad because Gasol is still essential to their defense and keeping their offense at least greased a little bit, even though obviously things would be much smoother if he was hitting those threes or even taking those threes or even thinking about taking those threes. But you know, it's, he's got a, like, it's kind of like a Siakam thing. I talked about the last game. You can't really bench Siakam because the only path to being good enough to beat the Celtics is with Siakam on the floor. I kind of feel like that with Gasol as well. And it's just, I mean, per synergy, he's got, I think the official number in this game was two Sean groans as a result of Gasol not taking threes that were wide open to him. That's an official stat. Don't, don't test me on it. (laughs) Um, And it's just, if you're taking those, eventually one is going to go in. Like, he's not, like, the worst three-point shooter of all time. He's, he's pretty good. He was good all year. I don't know why the range is off so badly right now and why he just seems so afraid to do it. But, like, that is obviously a huge thing in greasing the offense. I also think, like, again, credit to the Celtics. They played their asses off defensively in this one. And it was really annoying watching Daniel Tice be good in this game on switches against smaller guys. And, you know, tracking back to the rim and, and offering rim protection when he was dragged out. And I, I thought he had a couple possessions on Lowry on switches where normally Lowry would just blow by him. Maybe this is the legs thing. Maybe just this was Tice having an out-of-body defensive experience. But it, it just, he kind of stonewalled Lowry a couple times. And then they kind of went away a little bit from having Lowry initiate things. And, you know, I think Lowry talked after the game about how he wasn't aggressive enough. You know, I, I would agree with that. I don't think Kyle was creating enough of the offense in this game, and that leads me to the other thing that I thought really dragged the Raptors down in the first half of this one was Fred Van Vliet. Like, love Fred Van Vliet. Pay him all the money, but goddamn, dude, you don't need to dribble for 20 seconds all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of takes away from what the Raptors do well on offense, which is constantly reading and reacting. And I know the Celtics do a lot to snuff out actions, but... Just the constant re-screening with Gasol up top, it feels like he'll set like three or four screens of possession sometimes for Van Vliet, and it doesn't go anywhere. Like, try something new if it's not working. Throw an entry pass to Pascal. You know, run a pick and roll and just throw a pocket pass to Gasol on the dive or something. It just, there's a lot of very, very long possessions that sap the energy out of the entire offensive sort of kinetic energy the Raptors tend to throw out there. Like, how do you... Is it just a matter of having Kyle create more and telling Fred to spot up off ball? Like, is that what it is? Is it a matter of giving Pascal the ball more often? And that's a whole other can of worms because he only had three shots in the first half and he wasn't really even asked to do anything on offense. He was kind of just standing in the corner and was just sort of a nothing on that end of the floor in the first half, at least. Like, how do you make it so you don't have those long possessions where, oh, shit, there's three seconds on the clock. We have to kick it out to OG for a three where he maybe will bail us out. Shouts to Emma Brown. We know he is amazing on those late clock threes, but he's not going to hit them all, and that can't be how your offense survives. Yeah, I think for sure Kyle has to be more of an initiator in this series. I think Pascal Siakam has to be more of an initiator in this series, but Fred Van Vliet, you know, beyond just sort of the resets, the resets, 
he, uh, he can't be like gnashing the pick and roll to the max where it's like he's driving in and going back out and then he's just sort of doing a couple of crossovers and jacking up a shot or then kicking it to someone else. Uh, that can't happen either. Uh, yeah, you got to trust that ball movement. And, and the other thing too is we saw this a bit in, in game four where he was doing a great job of relocating. So, you know, and, and the relocations for him, I, th- I, th- I think that could be something that could be pivotal going into a game six where, you know, just move that ball, get to a different spot, make that defense work, work at the very least, at the bare minimum, do that. And the other thing too, again, I'll go back to Gasol where I think he could do a bit more of what Draymond does for the Warriors where, you know, he kind of, he gets the ball uh, at the top of the key and then he's able to sort of create movement off of those DHOs for whether it's Steph or Clay or whatever it is. Right. And uh, I think that can help create some actions. And again, with Mark, that aggression has got to be there to try and create something. It doesn't have to be his shot, but when he's just looking over to his teammates every single time, like we talk about variability so much with these Raptors, right? The the various defensive schemes that they can play offensively, um, that usually they're able to keep you guessing with their ball movement and the fact that, you know, anyone on the team could be the, the lead scorer on the night. But again, with Marcus Gasol, if, if he's telling the defense that, hey, there's only one way that you need to defend me, then you're just making their life easier. And so, yeah, there's there's got to be more out of Fred. Um, but again, you know, I don't think that's magically going to happen in game six. I think at, at this point, he is who he is. And th- those improvements will have to come uh, in the off season. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think for now, you've just got to get the ball more in Kyle's hands. You've got to uh, get Pascal going downhill more with some screening action and, and, and go from there. Lastly, the topic of the offense and or the lack thereof in this game. One of the things that we talked about earlier on on this podcast in the series was the idea of the small lineup, maybe opening some things up. You know, having Siakam be your natural screener and just sort of forcing the Raptors to use him in pick and rolls, which has always been maybe the most effective way to use him. We've seen it in crunch time all season long. You get the shooting out there and, you know, you're not so much worried about your center not being, you know, even interested in potentially putting up a three. Uh, they went to the small lineup in this game for the first time. They only played four minutes. They got killed in those four minutes uh, with Siakam at center, with OG, Powell, Van Vliet, and Lowry. Um, obviously, a tiny sample. You can't take a ton from it, considering it took place in the second quarter for the most part of a game where uh, they were completely out of it. And again, it's all grains of salt. But did you like what you saw from that lineup at all or anything like process-wise from that lineup? that you Did anything stand out to you or... Does the complete disintegration of Norman Powell, still reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week, because I don't think they gave up Players of the Week in the bubble games, um, it, you know, it, does that just make that lineup kind of untenable at this point? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think. Um, I don't know where Nick Nurse's trust is at with Norman Powell, but I would have a pretty short leash in Game 6 when you've got a win-or-go-home situation. And I think, you know, we keep saying there's got to be a Norman Powell game. There's got to be a Norman Powell game. And this was the type of game where 
you know, we, we were alluding to energy earlier when your starters are struggling to put the ball in the bucket the way they are, they are. If Norman Powell comes in and sticks a couple threes and, you know, gets a couple drives to the rim, obviously got unlucky with that goal 10 call. Um, then who knows, right? Maybe, maybe that carries a bit of momentum for the Raptors, but he's been atrocious for the majority of the series. It was, you know, you know there was just that desperation moment where he was able to give them something when Kyle just needed a little bit of a breather um, in game three, and he was able to be serviceable in those minutes. But outside of that, he's he's been horrible. And so uh, I think you've got to be really careful. I think, I think he's in his head a little bit too, because the biggest thing that we've appreciated about Norman Powell's improvement in the season was his decision-making. Yeah. And – to see him now just sort of go back to that one track minded, uh, those drives, the, I'm, oh, the, this play, I'm shooting the ball no matter what. That, those are the things that you look and say, okay, what happened? Right? Like, this is not the Norman Powell that you saw in the regular season that was making good decisions, that was, uh, uh, that the game was sort of coming to him and uh, everything seemed to be coming so easy and so smooth. And I thought, I thought no play highlighted it better than the, there was that one look where he was wide open in the corner, passes it mm-hmm. off, and then gets it back and then forces that one up, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, again, you know, a lot of this you, sh- you sort of toss aside and you just focus on game six because the Raptors have been great at bouncing back all year. But – to win both these next games, uh, game six, and hopefully a game seven, you're going to need, I think, at some point, Norman Powell to show up. <laughs> yeah, man. It, it's unquestionable. I, I didn't and, mind sorry, the, the last, decision. Sorry, the last thing I want to mention is, again, I, I would have a short leash, right? If he, if he doesn't yeah. have it, he's looking the same. I'm going to Matt Thomas. I'm going to yeah, – I, I know Terrence Davis didn't really – provide much in this one even with the chance he got but Matt Thomas you know you, you got to turn to the zone defense and have him on the floor then it is what it is right yeah I I actually want to uh talk about Matt Thomas on the other side and I think you know there's a potential for him maybe to supplant some minutes from Powell here considering the way Powell has played which is crazy considering how confident Norm Powell made everybody feel throughout the entire season with his finishing. I mean, the finishing has just gone out the window. He had a couple, you know, on the run attempted finish in in this game that just like either he ran into a charge or he just bricked it off the side of the rim. And we're just not used to that considering what he's done this year. I didn't mind the decision from nurse to play him 31 minutes and let him lead the team in shots on this game. Right. Just to see if he can work some shit out and find some rhythm. Like, you know, maybe he wasn't, this was probably one of his better games, which isn't saying a lot considering he was six of 15, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's worth a shot to try to iron whatever kinks in his game out or are existing out right now. And so we will see he's going to be important as it turns out. Oftentimes the Raptors when in the Norm Powell era, they're not winning a series unless Norm Powell has some sort of moment. So, um, We'll uh, continue talking about the lineup and potential rotation changes and look ahead a little bit more to Game 6 in just a second. But first, I want to tell everybody about Built Bar, which is the best-tasting protein bar 
ever. It's so good. I know Big V loves himself a big built bar as well. And they have six new flavors for you as well. They got caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar sia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Yum. Uh, they also have 12 original flavors, including some of my favorites, including salted caramel, toffee almond, which mwah, it's so, so good, and banana bread. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew. Built Bars are also also healthy for you. They're great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they are great for keto diets as well. For example, why don't you have a peanut butter? 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs, and let me tell you, it tastes great. Also, you have the brand-new Cherry Bar Sia, 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. On the whole, Built Bars have seven times less sugar and carbs than Cliff Bars. That is crazy. Also, right now, Built Bar has a special promo going on with the code Locked On. You're going to get a free cooler with a purchase with your purchase while supplies last. That's not going to last very long, so get on in there for the coolers right now. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On. You're going to get $10 off your next order and that free cooler, but only when you use the promo code Locked On at BuiltBar.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Big V, Game 6 looms. The season's on the line. Uh, Rotation stuff. We alluded to it before. Matt Thomas in this game, one of the better Raptors. He did the thing where he comes in, scampers around on defense, You know, makes a couple mistakes here and there, but for the most part is in the right spots. Four rebounds. He had a couple of those beautiful little pump fakes and step in two steps to hit a mid-range jumper, which is a nice little counter he has to everybody constantly flying out to him on the line. And he looked the part of a like kind of reliable rotation player as he has for spurts throughout this entire series. While he hasn't really connected a lot of his shots, he has looked competent out there and like kind of within himself. And I, I'm wondering, does Matt Thomas get actual burn in game six? It feels a little bit scary to throw Matt Thomas out there in a winner go home game. That, that doesn't seem like an ideal thing to take place, but with the way Norm Powell's played, the lack of defensive discipline has had, the lack of finishing around the rim, his you know misshapen three-point shooting as well, does Matt Thomas in some weird way offer a bit of an upgrade on what Powell's been giving so far in the series? And do you think Nick Nurse will resort to Matt Thomas for you know any, any sort of meaningful minutes when it comes to Game 6? Yeah, I think it's all about providing some kind of spark offensively for the most part. You know, the, the Raptors uh, have struggled in that aspect. So I feel like if he can come in and just make a couple buckets, you know, I think back to the seeding games after the blowout against Boston, they played Memphis, right? And they really struggled to make shots in that one to start the game. And Nick Nurse put in Matt Thomas. And after the game, he, he said, you know, it, it kind of helped the team to just see Matt Thomas put the ball in the bucket. And so I think that's the type of thing that you'll look for if Norman, if say, for example, you know, you're looking for a lift out of Norman Powell and you don't get it in a game six, then you turn to 
Matt Thomas and say, hey, put the ball in the hoop. And, you know, maybe that helps the Raptors get going. And, again, I, w- I would have a short leash because I don't think you can wait and wait to where it's like 15, 20 points in the second quarter. You know, that he comes in, makes a couple of shots. That's, that's not really going to give you much momentum. Uh, it's going to have to be a very short leash with everything. I, you, know, you, you almost got to be in that Rick Carlisle mindset where uh, the Celtics go to score two possessions in a row. We call a timeout. You know what I mean? And mm. So, uh, yeah, I think all the options have to be on the table. And if you look at who could potentially fill in for Norman Powell, Matt Thomas has looked the best option. Yeah, I mean, I, you'd like to think it, it could be Terrence Davis, considering he's kind of in the mold of Norm Powell as a very good driving, athletic six four wing who can defend a couple positions in the right. backcourt or on the wings. But he's not been good. He missed a couple threes in this one. And when the Raptors were like sort of almost making an earnest comeback in the fourth quarter, you know, it didn't feel real because it was the bench guys, but... You know, had had Terrence Davis hit one or two of the three threes he took in rapid succession, maybe we're talking about a game where the Celtics have to extend their starters even further or something like that. I don't know. But he just hasn't had it. He clearly doesn't have Nick Nurse's trust right now. And, you know, maybe this is what we should have expected all along. Rookies don't perform in the playoffs. I say this all the time about other rookies. I don't know why... I thought it might be different with this rookie, unless you're Lou Dort. Apparently, it's uh, it's a tough road to hoe. For hey, those Miami rookies rookie. are looking real good too. Yeah, yeah, they're playing the Bucks though. They're frauds. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll see when they play a real team in the next round. Um, and also, like Kendrick Nunn is not playing a whole lot, right? I don't think so. No, Dragic is playing too well for that to be on the court. Yeah, none is bad. I don't know. He's, I don't think he's good. Either way, this is besides the point. Uh, also, bad person. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, like you got to see what you have from Norm first. I don't think like you bench Norm outright because oh, absolutely. Norm having a game obviously like can swing it entirely in your favor. But if he comes out and does what he did say in game three, was it where he picked up like the three fouls in a minute or whatever it was, just flying around recklessly as though he were Terrence Davis and he's not giving you anything around the basket as well, which is supposed to be his bread and butter after all of his refinement this season, then yeah, I think like pretty quick hook, Thomas, then Davis if things get really dire. Or then you just run Kyle and Fred forever. I I don't know, man. (laughs) It's uh it's I said this on the most recent podcast I did. I can't remember what day it was on now because what are days, but it does feel as though the series has kind of been exhausted in terms of adjustments and things like that. And with both teams really only having like six guys they can trust. Um, it's just a matter of who plays better among the six guys. And if, you know, you get four or five of your guys playing well, you're going to win the game. It, you know, that's what happened for Boston today. Like, I don't think Tatum was particularly good. I don't think, um, you know, I guess Kemba was, yeah, Kemba was pretty good. He missed a bunch of his threes, but Kemba was good. You had Tice, you had Smart, you had Brown all look good. And Raptors had nobody. I mean, yeah, Brown was amazing. Yeah, Yeah, it's it was annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and um, I I thought Marcus Smart was much better in this game as well, right? Like, was making enough shots, and then defensively, I thought he was he was outstanding. Yeah, one day the Raptors will realize. Like, I tweeted this very early on in the game after Van Vliet got stripped in the fast break. There, like, 
at some point, maybe realize you have Marcus Smart guarding you and adjust accordingly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I know you're on a fast break, but I think you have a guy with you on the run. And also, you could always just pull it out the way you've done a ton of times so far in this series. Why force it against Marcus Smart? And that has gone for a lot of like Siakam ISOs and stuff against him as well. It's uh, He's really good. I hate it. And I can't actually hate Marcus Smart because I'm a Kyle Lowry supporter and they, they do very like obviously Lowry's better but like they do very similar things I, I appreciate and support everything Kyle does so I kind of have to begrudgingly respect Marcus Smart and all of his grifting and also his incredible defense yeah I, I think that's if there's one part of the Raptors transition offense that's really frustrated me rather than crediting the Celtics defense it's just the failure to recognize uh that you know sometimes there just isn't an advantage there and so it's all it's almost like they're just going through the motions it's like oh it's a fast break so therefore i must just drive to the rim and whatever happens happens it's like no you it, just recognize it's not an advantage and just back it out or look for someone else and you know try to make something work and mm-hmm. instead of just you know just giving up a turnover and having them come back down the floor i think that's something that's really been important frustration. It's, it's almost like those two for ones that, that people take just for the sake of a two for one. Right. Like, yeah, it, that's basically what they've done on some of the, the Freddie specials. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's been a very gloomy podcast so far. Like this is not nearly as dire as it was when they say went down two Oh, and we're oh, absolutely going not. down three Oh, I, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of reason for optimism. I think on the balance, you could probably say the Raptors, very easily could have won three of the games so far in this series. And that obviously only goes so far and doesn't matter. And it's make or make miss league Doug and all that stuff. But like, I think they've played well enough. I think they've had a lot of good process stuff. I think their defense remains excellent and is giving Jason Tatum a lot of trouble and is giving at times Kemba Walker a lot of trouble. And as it should, it's a very good defense. They've been ridiculous all year long. And even in a game where they notably stunk on defense, they still had a lot of sequences where they were smothering and wonderful there. So I think there's a very good chance, and I felt this way pretty much all along, this is probably going 7 anyway. It has to get to 7 in some fashion. There's some roadmap where some team goes down 3-2 at some point to make it to a 7-gamer. And so I would expect the Raptors to win game six. I don't want to predict shit because predicting things in the playoffs is folly. If you think of any series ever, uh, <laughs> go basing anything on what happened in the previous game and what should happen in the next game seems maybe like not a great idea. I, I, I'd like to remind everybody of last year's series against the Sixers when the Raptors won in game five by a thousand points, seemed primed to go back and win game six and then got pasted in game six and required a game seven to win. So, um, you know, wild swings of the name of the game in the postseason. The Raptors are a team that is very good at bouncing back when the wild swing goes against them, I would say. Um, do you have any last kernels of optimism maybe to drop here for the listeners to make sure everyone goes to bed or wakes up and starts their day on Tuesday uh, a little happier than they may be after watching that game? No, I think you made the biggest point that needs to be made with regards to that. It's that each game is very much its own entity. And so uh, there, were, there were enough games in the postseason last year to prove that. And the Raptors will put this aside. And I have no question that we will see a much greater intensity on both ends of the floor and uh, a much more crisp offense in game six. And yeah, the, the expectation was that this would be a long series. Uh, 
Um, I'm one of the idiots that does do predictions. I picked the Raps in seven games. So mm-hmm. here's to winning them next. Uh, here's to them winning the next two. That would be lovely. Be really fun. They could certainly do it. These teams are very evenly matched. It's uh, you know Boston might have it in terms of top end talent, but I think the Raptors might have it in terms of cohesiveness, and they also have Kyle Lowry, who's a fucking maniac. So, um, and Kyle Lowry with like thirteen extra minutes of rest in this game than he would normally get in this series. So. Thumbs up there, I guess. <laughs> if you're looking for silver linings, uh, Kyle, a little bit less exhausted after this game than he would normally be. Um, that feels like a good place to leave it. I uh, look forward to game six on, on Wednesday with uh, a lot of nervous, cautious optimism. But uh, Vivek, do you have anything you would like to promote, plug, anything uh, people should know about? Well, I've been doing my player breakdowns after every game. I joke. You're very, very excellent player breakdowns, you should say. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I leave that to the people to judge. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. I joked that I would be doing a breakdown of the players literally breaking down in this game. <laughs> uh, but no, I think I'm actually going to focus in on Norman Powell. Yeah. And because I, I, I just think the Raptors need him. Like, Serge Ibaka's shown up enough times over the course of these playoffs and especially in this series and yeah it's norm's time to step up yeah by the way hopefully abaka's okay he left the game late it seemed uh nurse nick nick nurse did say that he was not told anything untoward or anything to worry about that he'd have a you know a full update tomorrow but there was no indication on his part that he needed to be worried I mean, he played a few possessions after taking that knock and seemed okay. So, yeah. I mean, don't want to jump to any conclusions. Injuries are weird. We have no idea. But um, yeah, hopefully good news there. Because if they don't have a Baca, get ready for Chris Boucher, baby. Uh, hey. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was, that was the most depressing baby. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I meant to. I meant to close it off on a good note. I've now scared everybody. Uh, Serge is gonna be fine. He's got scarf power. He'll eat some fufu and he'll be good. I think there you go. probably. Yeah. Um. All right. That's gonna do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Big V for jumping on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can find the show at Lockdown Raptors. Uh, leave a rating and review. That's very much appreciated. Also, if you are a fan of one of the teams in the final four of the NHL playoffs, go check out Locked On Golden Knights with Danny Webster, Locked On Stars with Josh Clark and Kenneth Nash, Locked On Islanders with Gil Martin, and Locked On Lightning with Adam Denker. You should go check out all of those shows if you're a hockey fan looking for the local scoop on the four remaining teams now playing over in Edmonton to uh, lift the Stanley Cup in the bizarre COVID bubble. Um, That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back again on Wednesday, probably before the game. I'm not sure what we'll do, what the shape of the show is going to be. Got a couple guests I'm working on for the week. Um, So we'll do something, whether it's the tee up game six, whether it's a mailbag of some kind, or if it's just a late night recap, we will get something out for you. I promise on Wednesday. And with that, we'll talk to you then with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. 
You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.